Happy Sunday. And to all our visitors again, welcome. I know you've already heard it like eight times, but I'm going to say again, welcome. All right. And if you're new to Brentford Bible Chapel, just a couple disclaimers. Uh, today we'll be reading from the Word of God. And here at Brentford Bible Chapel, that's the only thing worth reading. Okay. Just want to let you know that, that we believe that this is the one and only Word and written uh, oracles of the Lord God. And everything in here is truth. Everything in here is 100% truth. All right, and we hold to that. And we simply try and live by and abide by what's written in this book and nothing else. So today, we'll be continuing on in our study of the book of Proverbs. And I've been assigned chapter 9. So go with me please to chapter 9. We'll read, we'll open in prayer, and then we'll get rolling. All right, Proverbs chapter 9. I'm going to read through it so we can all get a taste of of what's written here. Wisdom has built her house. She has hewn out her seven pillars. She has prepared her meat and mixed her wine. She has also set out her table. She has set out her maids, and she calls from the highest point in the city. Let all who are simple come in here. She says to those who lack judgment, Come, eat my food and drink my wine that I have mixed. Leave your simple ways, and you will live. Walk in the way of understanding. Whoever corrects a mocker invites insult. Whoever rebukes the wicked man incures abuse. Do not rebuke a mocker, or he will hate you. Rebuke a wise man, and he will love you. Instruct a wise man, and he will be wiser still. Teach a righteous man, and he will add to his learning. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. For through me, your days will be many, and your years will be added to your life. If you are wise, your wisdom will reward you. If you are a mocker, you alone will suffer. The woman folly is loud. She is undisciplined and without knowledge. She sits at the floor of her house, on a seat at the highest point in the city, Calling out to those who pass by, who go straight on their way. Let all who are simple come in here, she says to those who lack judgment. Stolen water is sweet. Food eaten in secret is delicious. But little do they know that the dead are there, that her guests are in the depths of the grave. Let's open a word of prayer. Lord our God, we know that what is written here is your spoken word to mankind. I pray that, Lord, as we open it up and look into it this day, that you would help us to understand it. For without you, Lord, there's no way that we as simple men can understand anything written in this book. But through the power of your Holy Spirit, Lord, may you illuminate to us the Scriptures this day. May we learn of you. May we grow deep in our knowledge and understanding of who you are, the great I am. Lord, we, uh, we ask and we depend on you this day. In the name of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. So we'll see here in this book, in this chapter we've read, there's a contrast, all right? We're looking at the path of the wise and the path of the wisdom. There's like this battle of good and evil, all right? Life versus death. It's a battle for your destiny. What will happen to you in this life? And there's two sides, and they're arguing it out, and they're both pulling for your attention, and they're both 
trying to adhere, trying to, um, trying to tug at your senses to get your attention to say, hey, come this way. Hey, come to the path of the wise. No, 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 come to the path of the foolish. Now, they don't use the word foolish in everyday life because who would go down the path of the foolish if you knew it was the foolish path, all right? But it is cleverly disguised as the foolish path, okay? And I want to simply break down for you a little bit about this chapter, okay? We see here that wisdom, right, is on top of the, ho- is on top of the highest point in the city, calling out, hey, there's an invitation. Everybody's welcome. Come here, all of you who are simple, or you, you don't know what to do, all right? I'm calling out to everybody. Come up to here. Come to me. And she invites us in, okay? And what does she have offered there? She got some entertainment for us. Appealing to our senses. There's food. There's a meal. There's a sense of communion. Hey, I want to get to know you. Let's live together. Let's work together. And then she describes her tales of success. If you come here, what's going to happen to you? All right? Good things are going to happen to you. You're going to live a long and prosperous life. All right? And she leaves us off with, now you have a choice. Which path are you going to take? And then we see down below, there's this path of the folly, path of the foolish. And what does this path look like? It's a lot similar, mimics kind of a lot like the other one. There's also the foolish woman on top of the hill too. The highest point in the city yelling out, hey, everybody else, come in here. I got good stuff for you here too. And you know what? Hey, stolen food and food and, and stolen water and food eaten in secret, that's good too, appealing to our senses. We'll talk a little bit about that in a bit, all right? But we see that there's two contrasting paths here. But you notice real quick that one path leads to life and the other path leads to death. And hopefully by the end of today's service, all right, you'll have a clear understanding of what the two paths are, and that one path is obviously better than the other, and hopefully you'll know which path you're on. If you don't know which path you're on, I'll tell you right now, you're on one of them. There's no in-between path. You're either on the foolish path, or you're on the wise path right now in your current life. Which path are you on is one of the big questions we want to look at today. And hopefully you will realize that Jesus is better. The path that leads to Jesus is the better path. Now we know in Scripture, all right, that it says that in Christ are hidden all the wisdom and treasures of God. So when we see the word wisdom here in verse 1, wisdom has built her house. Wisdom can be a metaphor, another word, to describe Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ being the one and only Son of God, in Him is all the wisdom and manifold treasures of God. You want the truth? It's found in Jesus Christ only. So the path here that represents the wise path is a path that we know is led by the one and only Jesus Christ. And what do we see about this path? What is this wisdom, this woman of wisdom, Doing What is wisdom calling out? Verse 2. She has prepared her meat, mixed her wine, and she has set out her table. Huh. Now, she says, come on in. I got a meal for you. Now, in our church, I don't know about where else you may be from. or How do you know if someone's wealthy? How do you know if someone's wealthy? They're well off, financially secure. How do you know? One of the ways that they, they, they might show it off is by doing what? Well, I'll tell you in our church, all right, if, uh, if my family provides a meal for you, 
Many of you have had meals provided for my family. What is that meal that you are getting? You're getting ziti. <laughs> You're getting a pound of pasta mixed with cheese and sauce. Why is that? It's because we love you. One, that's what we're really good at making. We're not really good cooks. Right, that's what my, well, my wife's a good cook. I mean, that's what we're good at making. But we ain't extremely wealthy, so you're getting pasta. But there are other people in our assembly, okay, where you go to their home, and they got the spread, all right? They got, they got the, the, meat, the, the steaks. They got the lobsters. They got the dippings and all the sides. You're getting hooked up, right? Now, they're not trying to do it to flaunt themselves, okay? But they're doing it in a manner that, that blesses us who, who come, right? It is a blessing. I, I've had families who, when we're giving birth, you know, you guys hook us up meals. They say, listen, here is Olive Garden menu. Order it up. I'm like, yeah, order it up. I do that. I, we, Aaron and I, we hook ourselves up. Why? Because someone else is paying. All right? It's great. It's great. You might not get that from us, but there are people, all right, in this world, all right, you know, when people have wealth, they throw parties. They entertain other people to bless them. That's one way that people in this world show off their wealth. All right? And they're not trying to show it off to be to gaudy and say, look at me, look what I can do, look what I can get. But that's one way they can afford the nicer foods. Okay? And we just happen to be blessed by that, and we thank you. Here... What is this woman doing? She has prepared a table with meat and wine. Does this sound like the cheap food? Is this the Aldi stuff? That's where we go shopping. Okay, No, it's not the Aldi stuff. Okay, this is the good stuff. Buying the nice steaks, buying the nice wine, setting out a nice banquet. Compare and contrast that with the foolish woman. She too is putting on a meal. What does she put out? In a lot of translations, it says she's putting out bread and water. Huh. Big contrast there in quality. Both will satisfy your appetite. One will do a huge, much improvement. One is much healthier for you. One is much more long-lasting nutrients. Okay. There is a big difference between wisdom and folly. Wisdom, what wisdom has to offer for you guys, is huge blessings. Now, who's putting together this banquet? Is it you and I? Do we have any part in this meal that's being offered out to there? This path of wisdom and path of foolishness. Is there anything for me to go and enjoy this meal that's being offered? Do I have to do anything? Well, no. Because who's doing all the work? The hostess. Wisdom here has done the work. He has gone out, prepared the meat, gathered the food, set the table. I don't think somebody AC's off. They have gone and done the work. Now I want to compare that to the Lord Jesus Christ. See, we are invited here every week at the Lord's Supper to remember the Lord Jesus Christ. He has put out a meal for us. We've got the bread and we've got the, the wine. We come here and we remember Him. What have I brought to that table of eternal value? What have I brought? Nothing. He has brought it all. Jesus Christ offered up His body 
on the cross for us. He offered up His blood as a sacrifice for us. What did I do in that? Nothing. He provided everything for me to have eternal security, to be saved. We're going to look at that a little bit more. Jesus says, Come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. Is there any limitations in that? Who can and cannot come? Nobody. The banquet that Jesus Christ is putting on, the call for wisdom to come to Himself, is free for everybody. And He says, I will feed you. And He says, we see through Scripture, the parallels, right? Talking to the woman at the well. I will give you living water. You will never thirst again. Jesus Christ says, listen, you come to Me, and I will provide for your spiritual needs. You're longing to be satisfied with spiritual needs. I will provide for you everything that you need. In this world, you might search around to try and find things to satisfy your appetite. Whether it be wealth, power. Whether it be physical money. Oh, we already just mentioned that. Wealth, power. All right, Pleasures of this life. You might be searching out there to things that make you happy. You can't find it. Because you're looking in the wrong place. Jesus Christ is the only one who you come to, He will satisfy your appetite 100% for life. Never have to go anywhere else. Because He designed you. He's the one who made you. And He knows our appetites. He's the one who designed you with that appetite for spiritual food. And it's only found in Him. Why would anybody follow the path of a fool then? Well, I'll tell you what. The path of the fool... Sounds kind of nice. I mean, have you ever done anything in secret and go, oh, man, that was good. I just got away with that. Have you ever done anything like that? Have, have, I have. Okay, maybe you haven't. Um, how many of you have eaten something that you probably shouldn't have eaten and go, man, that was, that was, that was good? All right. I, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. I, I, I have raided the, well, when I was a kid, raided the freezer a lot and eaten ice cream out of it. Anyway, listen, no, one, no one's here from Parkside. Listen, when I was a kid, being a staff at Parkside, I lived there, so I was also permanent staff. Uh, but being a kid, they always had these giant, you know, ten-gallon drums of ice cream in their fridge at camp. And I was not very clever. All right, this is why they started locking up everything at night so people couldn't get in there. I would go in there and take my spoon as a staff member and eat from the ice cream at night, and then go, oh shoot, the leftovers is there. Can't do that. So I was like, I used to do this repeatedly night after night, but of course the ice cream started to windle down. But we eat a big 10-gallon drum, you know, you take a few bites, no noses. But after a week, it starts to add up. Man, it was the best ice cream I ever ate because I never got caught. I was like, how am I going to cover this up? You know what I would do? I would <laughs> take the container, flip it upside down so it slides down and melts that way. When it refreezes, turn it back over and put it in there. So when she opens it up, it's flat to the top. It looks fresh. <laughs> When it gets to the bottom, it's all empty, but <laughs> covered up my tracks. That was some of the best reaction ever. Why? Because I stole it. I stole it. I shouldn't have done that, and I was wrong. I did have to confess to the cook at one time that I stole her ice cream. But for weeks, that was some of the best reaction I ever got. Why? Because it was stolen. It was wrong, though. It was wrong. I promise. Ice cream is my problem. Uh, if anybody knows, I, my family and I have an addiction to ice cream. Um, Things done in secret feel good for a short while. Things that are stolen 
feel good for a while. Please tell me or provide for me an example where something that is wrong, stealing ice cream, all right, lying about it, doing something that is wrong, feeling good at the time, actually ends up being beneficial down the long road. Anything that goes against God's commands or laws, you do it right away, it feels great. Please provide for me an example of anything in this world that goes against God's commands that is beneficial for you down the road. Please tell me for me one example, I'm going to go deep here, ready, where adultery might be great in the moment, but down the road is beneficial for that family. Where has a good story ever come out of that? Uh, I can't name one. I, I can't. Please tell me where lying and stealing down the road actually turned, turned out well for you. When has cheating on your taxes, using foul language, um, fighting with other people, losing your temper, although it feels good in the moment to lose your temper and let the other person have it, all right, to throw a pan at them, whatever it may be. It might feel great in the moment. What has that ever turned out beneficial and a blessing to you and the other person down the road? Never. Never. The path of foolishness might feel great in the moment. It might please your appetite temporarily. But down the road, it never turns out good. It never turns out good. It only leads to, well, we could call it death. We'll talk about spiritual death in a minute. But physical death, all right, if I lose my temper with my wife, it kind of destroys our relationship for a while. It, not, it feels great when I let her have it for about 30 seconds. And then I'm paying for the consequences of that. Okay, And it is not a good thing. It does not leave blessing to our home at all. And it actually leads to our relationship death temporarily until things get restored, hopefully. All right? It is never a good thing. But that's the path of the fool. The path of the fool leads to death. It could be one literal death. There are things in this world that go against God's design for mankind that if you do these things, will lead to physical death. You will actually die. Just, I'll throw out a couple examples, all right? I, I did some research and, and uh, came across this... Um, National Health and Nutrition uh, Survey, where they followed 5,574 men. They followed them for 18 years. Okay? And we got some young ears, so I'll try and keep it clean. They looked at the intimacy with who these people lived with. Okay? Being men with men or men with females. Okay? After the 18 years, 13% of the men who lived with other men, were no longer around. They had passed away from diseases that were caught from their decisions they made. On the other side, the men with females, less than one-tenth of a percent. That's a huge contrast, just to show that there are consequences in God's eyes because of the actions that we take. It is found in the same research study, that if you smoke, if you're, if you're a routine smoker, okay, that you reduce your life by over 10 years just from smoking. You reduce your lifetime. Alcohol 
Now, again, there's nothing wrong with having wine or a drink here and there, but if you consume large amounts of alcohol, the study found that you reduce your life up to 12 years, you reduce your lifetime by consuming large quantities of alcohol. Now, okay, I, I don't consume any of that stuff, but I, I've been caught st- stealing and lying and robbing people, and I was actually put in jail for it, which is the consequences here on earth for it. Did you know that every year in jail, you lose two to three years of your life expectancy? That's just what they found in the study. And the last one, drugs. It was found from a, a, the same study that after their first documented hit, on heroin, 90% of the people were gone within the first few years. That consuming drugs can't have physical consequences here on earth. See, when we follow the path of a fool, things that feel great in the moment, there can be physical consequences for them. And it can be physical death. God does not please when we step outside of the realm of the things he's asked us to do. But when we follow his path, the path of wisdom, all right, following after the Lord Jesus Christ, and not doing those foolish things, God says, listen, I have a life planned for you. I have things for you to do. I have a mission for you. You have purpose in me. And you will live on this earth until you're done with that mission. Because I have something for you to do, and I need you to do it. I have good deeds prepared for you, he says. So I'm not trying to scare you guys, but I just want to let you know that Solomon here is saying, listen, I've done it all, I've seen it all, I've, I've tasted it all. There are consequences for the choices that we make. So teenagers in the room, just so you know when you're growing up, there are consequences for decisions that you will make in life. Now, on the flip side, there are consequences spiritually too. And that's what I want to get to next. All right, We got the physical stuff out of the way. Let's get to the more important stuff. The lifelong effects of following the path of a fool. Following the path of a fool not only leads to sometimes physical death, but most importantly, it leads to spiritual death. Now, when we look at the middle of this chapter, we see a section here about following the path of wisdom. Then we see the path of the foolish, right smack in the middle in verse 10. There's this kind of verse that just kind of like, where'd that come from? Solomon, the, the wisest man to ever live, kind of just throws this verse right into the middle. Hey, we're looking at the path of wisdom, looking at the path of folly, boom. And I just want to throw a little nugget in here for you guys to look at. And here's this nugget, and we've read it many a times. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. I mean, how, many times have, how many of you in this room have heard a verse like that anywhere else in Scripture? It's all over the place in Scripture. But why does Solomon throw it into here? I mean, Psalms 111. In verse 10 it says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All who follow his precepts have good understanding. To him belongs eternal praise. In Ecclesiastes, Solomon 2, again, the wisest man who ever lived. One of the last verses in, in Ecclesiastes. He's wrapping up all his knowledge, all his thoughts, all his understanding of this life. Again, he's seen it all, tasted it all, done it all. He's lived a life that most of us would, would never live because he's had more wealth than all of us would ever have. And he says this, I've reflected back in my life. In Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 13 says, And now all has been heard. And here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God 
Keep his commands, for this is the duty of all mankind. This is the duty of all mankind, is to fear God and keep his commands. Why does this word, fear God, keep coming up? What does this mean? Why do we hear this all the time through Scripture, fear God, fear God, fear God? What does that actually mean? Does that mean like fall flat in your face and go, God? All right, I'm, I'm terrified of you. Well, in all, in all seriousness, though, the word that we see here that says fear God, all right, that word itself in the original language is Yaira. Correct me wrong, Bible scholars in the back, all right? It's Yaira, okay? It means reverence, dreadful, afraid, and frightened. A lot of times, we don't have a healthy respect for who God is. Do you know who God is? I'll tell you who God is. God is the God, He opens His mouth, and nuclear explosions come out and create the sun. The most powerful energy source in the universe comes out of His mouth, hot enough to incinerate the entire earth and all of us in combined in an instant. He's hugely powerful. God is a God who remembers everything. He has control over life and death. He holds the keys to the lake of fire. Our God is a God who says, Vengeance is mine, I will repay. He doesn't forget. Our God is a God who controls your eternal destiny. He decides, do you go to heaven or you go to hell and suffer? He is the almighty supreme being. He is huge. Don't forget that. That he is a holy, holy, holy God. And he is perfect and he is just in all that he does. He is sovereign. He is the only one in the entire universe, everything that exists. He is the only one who can do what he wants, when he wants, how he wants, and you can't say otherwise. I can't do that. Even in my house or my own workplace, I'm not sovereign. I can't do whatever I want, however I want, whenever I want. I have people over me. And I have to say yay or nay. God has nobody over him. Do you have a legitimate fear and respect and reverence of who God is. You need to. When we look at Israel, okay, when we look at Israel in Jeremiah 32, verse 40, we know that Israel is a nation that was handpicked by God, and they've always had a difficult time following God 100%. I'm not judging them because I'm the same way. But they have a difficult time following God 100%. And God says, this is what he says, And I will make an everlasting covenant with them, and I will not turn away from them to do good. I will put my fear in their hearts, that they shall not depart from me. In order for God to get his people to follow him and not leave him and abandon him, what is he going to do? He's going to inject into them a healthy respect of fear and understanding of who God really is. He's huge, all-powerful. Have you forgotten who God is? I know a lot of times in my life, God is my buddy-buddy. He's my father. He's my Abba father. I can go to him, run to him. That's a good thing. 
And we'll look at that in a minute. But it's also a good thing for me to remember who I am, this little to be the human being, and compared to the greatness and awesomeness of the great I am. Turn with me to Revelation chapter 20. I'm not doing this to scare you. I'm doing this to give you just a realistic glimpse of what truth is. This is the way things really are, guys. All right, Revelation chapter 20, turn with me there. We're going to take a look at what is still to come. All right, this was written by John. He was given a vision by God, and John saw a glimpse into heaven of future events, and he was told, write these things down. And that's exactly what he did. John 20, verse 11. Then I saw a great white throne, and him who was seated on it. The earth and the sky fled from his presence, and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and the books were open. So get this, guys. Ready? Everybody in history will one day stand before God. Well, it will be Jesus Christ because he's the one who's been given all authority to judge. All right, it's been given to by the Father. Jesus Christ is the person we'll read about here. He's sitting on the throne. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne. A multitude of multitude, every human being ever to exist will one day stand before Jesus Christ. You're included, okay? Just, just, just talking about people. You're a people. You're a human being. Alright, you're in this boat. And I saw the dead and the great, the small, standing before the throne, and the books were open. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done as a record in the books. The sea gave up their dead and all that were in it. And death and Hades gave up their dead that were in them. And each person was judged according to what he had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. If any man's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. That's, that's what God says, guys. This is what's going to happen one day. One day, every human being will be judged. Two paths. Path to hell, path to heaven. Foolish path leads to, I'll tell you right now, hell. Path of the wise leads to heaven. The path of the fool, their name is not found in the Lamb's book of life. How do you get to heaven? Well, how does God decide whether or not you get into heaven? It's very simple. If anyone's name was not found in the book of life, what happened to them? Thrown into the lake of fire. That's the only way God will determine who goes where. Open the book up. Hmm, Brian McWilliam. Yep, you're in the book. Alright, this way, go to heaven. Hmm, I don't want to make up a name because that wouldn't be right. Uh, so-and-so, sorry, your name's not in here. You're going to hell. That is the only rubric. That's the only line that God will judge from. He will not look at it and go, well, 
you know what? Uh, uh, sorry, Danny. Sorry, Danny. Um, yeah, your name's not in here, but you know what? You did a really good job with your business. You really helped a lot of people in your life. You gave a lot of money to the missionaries. You know what? I'll kind of, hold on. I'll take my pencil here. I'll scribble your name. There you go. You made it through. No, it ain't going to work like that, guys. Either your name is or is not in the Lamb's Book of Life. Where is your name? Do you know? Do you know where your name is? I know where mine is. And it's not the, the fairy tale, oh, I, I hope my name is there. Um, I'm really, you know, I think it's there. No, no, I know. I know my name is the Lamb's Book of Life. Why? Because God has told me so. In His Word, it says, these things are written, the Bible is written, so that you may know, unswervingly, undefiably, you know for a fact that you are saved, that you are a part of God's family, that your name is in the book. Do you know? Ask yourself, do you know? If you don't know, well, I'll tell you right now, good chance it's not found there. Because there are some criteria to get your name in that book. How do you get your name in the Lamb's book of life so that at the end of the world, when things are done, and God goes to judge every human being, how do you know if your name is there? I'm not going to be timid and scared when I get to this line because I know where my name is. Do you have that same confidence? How do you get your name in that book? Well, we all know this. All right? Romans 6.23 The wages of sin is death. The consequence for your disobedience to God, doing things your way how you want, the consequence of that is death. Physical death, but mostly spiritual death he's talking about here. You will go to hell because of your sin. But the gift of God, the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ. See, God has made a choice out there for you. He has made a way for you to go to heaven to get your name in that book. Have you accepted his free gift? But what is that free gift? Well, we also read in, in Romans 8:1 that there is now no condemnation for those who are found where? In Christ Jesus. Are you in Christ Jesus? Are you in his family? Is he in your heart? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him would not perish, but have eternal life. Have you literally had a conversation with Jesus Christ? Have you physically had a conversation with Jesus Christ? Where you said to Him, God, I know that Your Son is the one and only true God. I know that He lived on this earth. I know that He was perfect and all that he did. He never once made a mistake. And I know that he was hung on a cross. That he physically died. That he was suffered. He was beaten. I know that to be true. And I know why that happened. It happened because of my sin. You had to punish my sin. And instead of taking out the punishment on me, you took it out on your son. And I also know that he died. According to the scriptures, he died and he was buried in the grave. But also according to the scriptures, what we read here, 
He rose again the third day. God, I believe that. I believe that. If you had that conversation with God, heart to heart, and you tell Him that, guess what? You have believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. Guess what? Your name's now in the book. Your name is in the book. And it can't be erased. It is there forever. The path of wisdom leads to life. Not necessarily physical life, living out 120 years on this earth, but it leads to spiritual life. You will live forever in heaven with the Lord Jesus Christ. The only way to get on that path is to fear God. The beginning of that path is to fear God. In order to be saved, you have to have a healthy recognition of who God is. You need to understand who He is. That He is who He says He is. That His Son is who He said He is. That's why Solomon puts that verse in here. To say, listen, you want to be on the path of wisdom? Do you have a fear for God? Do you understand who God really is? Do you understand the plan that He has for you? And what He has done for you through His Son? For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. We read in Romans chapter 2, I'm sorry, Ephesians chapter 2 again. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. How do you get saved? Through faith. Belief in Him. And this is not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works, so that no man can boast. The wise person who goes to the house of the uh, the woman of wisdom here, again in the story, right? The woman's name is wisdom, right? If you go to her house, what do you have to do once you walk in? Nothing. Because wisdom has already laid out the spread, has already done all the work to prepare the meal, gone out and done all the buying, and at the time, they had to kill their own animals probably, okay? They had to do all the work for the meal. All you have to do is come in, you're invited, and enjoy it. In God's family, alright, to become part of God's family, to get this free gift from God, what do you have to do? Nothing! You cannot earn your way into heaven. That's what just said, we just read that. It is not by works. There is nothing physically that you can do on this earth to earn your way into heaven. You cannot earn your name into the book. God, if I do enough good deeds, please put my name in the book. It ain't going to work. God, I'll go to church every Sunday and never miss one. I'll be the first one there to open the doors. Put my name in the book, please. He can say, sorry, not good enough. You can light all the candles, say all the prayers, do whatever you want. It's never good enough to get your name in the book because you can't do it by works. It's only by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and what He has done for you. That's what separates the two paths. The wise person has understood God and understood what God has called him to and what He has done for him. The foolish person, what is the foolish person? The foolish person mocks and scorns God. What is it saying there about trying to correct a mocker or a scoffer? What is it saying there? Don't do it. It ain't going to work. What is a mocker and a scoffer? 
Does anybody really know what that is? I had to look it up. I just thought it was someone who made fun of other people. And I was kind of, uh, it's actually a little stronger than that. When it's talking about here a, a mocker and a scoffer, why don't you correct them? Well, here's the big thing. The people that it's talking about here are people who mock the thought of God and his sovereignty. There's no God. What are you talking about? I'll tell you what. There is no God. That's what they say. And I refuse to accept that. The plans that God has, the rules that God makes, God doesn't know what he's doing. He says that these things are sin. No, they're not. I'm tolerant of all those things. In fact, I can do whatever I want with my life. God has no say in my life. I will do what I want, when I want, how I want it. And that's how I'm going to make it be. That's what a scoffer is. I hope it's not us. I hope it's not us. So I want to leave us this morning with hopefully, if anything else, clearly portraying to you that there are two paths. There's not a third path. You're either in a path of wisdom or you're on a path of a fool. The path of wisdom leads to eternal life in Jesus Christ in heaven. The path of a fool leads to being thrown into the lake of fire. And that's it. And the only way you know which path you're on is what have you done with Jesus Christ? Have you accepted Him as your one and only true personal Lord and Savior? Say, Jesus Christ, I need you. I need your salvation because I know I'm on the path to hell. Or are you the person who says, you know what? I don't need to make that decision. I don't need you, God. Or you know what, God? I'll get to heaven my own way. For there is one God and there is one mediator between God and man. The man, Christ Jesus. The only way to God the Father, the only way to heaven is to go through Jesus Christ. There is no other way to get there. I just want to lead you with that challenge. Do you know where you're going? Let's close in prayer. Lord God, we give you thanks because you love us. Lord, when you looked down at us, you knew that we were lost and that every single one of us, because of our sin and our disobedience to you, we were all on our way to hell. But you in eternity past, knowing that we would mess up our own lives, that we would walk away from you and turn our backs on you, knowing that the consequence for our sin is death, you couldn't leave it that way. You couldn't bear to see the thought of all of us being thrown into hell. So you stepped in the gap. You made a way for us to be forgiven of our sins. And it wasn't an easy path. It wasn't an easy decision. Because the decision cost your son. See, someone has to die to pay for sin. And since none of us here on earth are good enough to pay the penalty even for our own sin, you had to find someone who was perfect. And the only one who qualified for that position was your one and only son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And you did not even hesitate but to offer him up on our behalf you joyfully and willingly went to the cross knowing that you were saving me. 
knowing that you are saving us in this room. And all that has to happen for us, Lord, to inherit eternity, to get our names written in the Lamb's Book of Life, is to believe in your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. To trust in Him. I pray, Lord, that today would be the day of salvation. That no one would go home today without making the decision to commit their life to you. Because you are the only one worth following. Lord, we love you and we thank you that you first loved us. We commit this week into your hands. In your son's name we pray. Amen.